Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. Good, good, good. Can we just give another hand for the team here? Fantastic. I love that last song that we sung, the third song. Beautiful. Fantastic. Please have a seat. Pastor Cody, we also have a cat. His name is Leo. And um, I have two children, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And my two-year-old, oh, this is them here. How cute. This photo was so staged. Look at how peaceful they are. I think um, lots of bribes happened at kindy on this day for that photo. But um, Aidan here, um, he just loves to pick Mr. Leo up. And Mr. Leo hates it. That poor cat has been tormented ever since we had children. But um, he is still loved. He is still loved. Well, it's my pleasure to be here this morning, Pastor Ed and Gail. Um, I first met them around four years ago. Um, We were at the same pastor's intensive. And something that just really struck me about your pastors is their their passion and love for the local church. And um, looking at you, you guys, I totally understand why they love the local church here. So it's such a pleasure to be here. It's fantastic. And um, what I want to talk to you about today is how to turn your crisis into a launch pad. At some point throughout life, we all come across a crisis. Some of you may already have been through some. Maybe you haven't experienced one yet. But you know what Jesus said? That we're going to have troubles in this life, but that we have to take hope because he has overcome the world for us. So I want to take us through some keys this morning. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my testimony. Pastor Cody mentioned that God miraculously healed me. I'm going to tell you about my story this morning and some keys that God gave me through, gave me to walk through that. So um, has anyone ever heard of Youth Alive? Has anyone ever been to a Youth Alive conference? So over the last few years, I have taken our youth from Champions Church to the Youth Alive conference in January. And um, if anyone has ever went on a youth camp or a youth conference with a bunch of youth, I don't know about you, but for me, coffee is an essential. But um, this year, um, after getting up, getting my two little kids ready for kindy and out the door, rushing off to pick up some youth kids, get to our church building for 7 a.m. to head to the Youth Alive conference, I was running a little bit late this morning, and I did not get my coffee. That presents one cranky Leanne. So one of the youth girls was in my car. Tyler is her name. And I said, Tyler, on the way, I haven't had brekkie. I haven't had coffee. So we're going to pull through the Macca's drive-thru, grab myself a breakfast McMuffin and get a coffee and we're good to go. But um, youth are very rarely on time. So by the time we got all of the youth loaded into the different cars and got on our way, I realized that I'm not going to have time to get my brekkie and my coffee. I was in crisis. (laughs) Anybody else find that when they don't get their coffee, they're in crisis? I was starting to panic, and I was starting to feel really bad for these young people having to spend the day with me. So I thought, okay, that's okay. I can get coffee when I get to the conference. But you know what? Here's the thing. Was it really a crisis that I didn't get my coffee? 
Some of us might feel like when we don't get our coffee, we're in crisis. But the truth is it wasn't really because it was something that I could fix. When I arrived, I went to the cafe on site, got my coffee and I was all good. But what I want to talk about this morning is crisis where we have no control over it. Have you ever felt that? You found yourself in a situation that you have no control over and you just don't know how to fix it. Time and time again, I see in the Bible where Jesus intercepts people in crisis and he changes everything. He turns the person's crisis into a launch pad for their future. We see in Mark 8.2, the blind man is healed. Mark 7.31, the deaf man is healed. Matthew 8, the leper is healed. John 11.38, the dead man is raised to life again. Luke 8.43, a woman with an issue of blood is miraculously healed by touching the hem of his garment. John 8, 1, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and is shown such forgiveness. You see, maybe you're sitting in here today and you feel like you're in crisis. As contrary as it sounds, I actually want you to celebrate this morning because it means that God has the potential to do something great in your life. The reason I use the word potential is because it's not about his ability. He is able. We see in every one of these scriptures, Jesus was able and he was willing. I say potential because we actually have a part to play in it. We need to respond to him. Over 15 years ago, I found myself in crisis. I had just been diagnosed with an incurable disease a disease that wouldn't physically take my life, but it certainly robbed me from enjoying it. Has anyone ever heard of Crohn's disease? So I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at the age of 20. But the truth is, it actually went further back than 15 years ago. Um, From the age of 12, I had stomach ulcers that just would not go away. Whatever the doctors did, we could not get rid of these stomach ulcers. But back then, the doctors didn't know much about Crohn's disease, so they hadn't actually diagnosed me at that point. And it wasn't until I was 20, and after many hospital and doctor visits, they finally diagnosed Crohn's disease. Now, Crohn's disease, um, it's an extremely painful disease. It's classed as an autoimmune disease where your immune system is attacking your own body. It's attacking the healthy parts of your body. It's classed as an inflammatory bowel disease where you you can get ulcers from your mouth right the way through your body. I won't go into any more detail for everybody in here. But it, it was extremely painful and I spent most of my early 20s in hospital. Um, I felt like I had no life. I would spend weeks on end in a hospital bed, hooked up to drips, medications, trying to get this disease under control. And it seemed like no matter what the doctors did, nothing was helping, it was getting worse. I found myself in crisis. But you know, because I have learned 
through crisis, during crisis, to start celebrating who Jesus is. I was walking with the Lord the entire time. I'd grown up in church. I believed that God was a healing God. I believed for healing. But for whatever reason, it just didn't come at that point. Despite that, I still rejoiced in Jesus. And because I've learned that crisis allows God's glory to be seen in our lives, it creates a vacuum for miracles to take place. And that's why if you're, you feel you're in crisis this morning, I actually want you to celebrate because God will do a miracle. So during these 10 years, I learned three things from the life of King David that helped me. And this is what I want to share with you this morning. Here's David, this little shepherd boy. He's anointed king over all Israel. You would think his life is set. One minute, he's in the fields tending the sheep. The next minute, it's David, come here. And the prophet anoints him king. Wow. Doesn't need career counseling. Doesn't need to go and do an apprenticeship. He is set. The prophet has spoken. It is a done deal. He's shot into greatness by defeating Goliath. He's made the commander of the king's army. Can life even get better than that? He's, he marries the king's daughter. Success and fame at such a young age. But this, David is about to be flung into crisis. Let's take it up from 1 Samuel 18, 5 to 10. It says this, Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced with joy, with tambourines and cymbals, and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands, and me only, one, only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. In this story, David, the boy who has been anointed king of Israel, by none other than the prophet Samuel, has just been launched into crisis. One minute he's being showered and praised from the people, the next he's hiding in caves, running for his life because the most powerful man in the land is after him. But reading the story of David, we see a man go from serious crisis to leading the nation of Israel. So three lessons that I've learned from this passage of David that I hope will help you if you will apply them to your life. It will help turn your crisis into a launch pad for the future. So the first is this, allow the crisis to throw you into 
the presence of God. You see, David goes from the public praises of people into the hidden presence of God. So often when crisis hits us, we turn from God because we think he has somehow failed us. He doesn't love us or he's left us, but this just isn't the case. David had a huge destiny on his life and the Bible doesn't say this, but I sometimes wonder if God needed to take him out of the limelight and into the caves because he had lessons to learn there because David sure did learn some lessons there that helped him in his future to lead Israel. He learned to retreat into the presence of God in every situation. You see, there'll be lessons for us to learn when we're in crisis. Sometimes God will allow us to experience crisis. Please hear me, sickness does not come from God. I did not get Crohn's disease from God. But for some reason, I had to live with it for more than 10 years. I don't know the answer to that, why God waited 10 years before he miraculously healed me. But the truth is, I don't need to know either. All I know is that he got me through it and he healed me. And now I live to testify to his glory for that. Amen. So sometimes we will not always understand, but friends, we don't need to. Just trust in him. Crisis is an opportunity for us to run into the arms of our loving God. Even better, let's make it a habit to live there. Psalm 91 says, those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. You see, I learned to run into the presence of God at a time when no one else could help me, doctors couldn't help me, medication couldn't help me. The only one who could help me was Jesus. So I ran into his presence. So with Crohn's disease, they, they treat it with medication. So I was on a nice combination of steroids, immune suppressants, and anti-inflammatories. And they still weren't working. All they can do for Crohn's disease is try and maintain it, try and give you some sort of quality of life. But even on all of these medications, that still wasn't working for me. And um, it came to a point where I needed some major surgery. I needed to get most of my small bowel removed. I won't go into any more detail than that. And um, afterwards, after I had the surgery, I went to a follow-up appointment to see the doctor to see how everything was going. And my usual doctor was on holidays. So I got this new doctor who I'd never met before. And he was just making chit-chat. So when you first meet someone, you ask them questions. So he's, he asked me, what do you do for work? And I said, well, um, I'm a pastor. I work at such and such church while I was still in Scotland. And he said, oh, wow. He said, I, go, I attend this church. And I said, oh. I said, I have friends at that church. And he said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, um, where do you stand on healing? I said, how do you mean? Expand on that a little bit. He said, well, do you still believe that God is a healing God, even though you're going through this? Even though he hasn't healed you? And I, this instantly came out of my mouth. I didn't even need to think about it, but I said to him, you know what? I don't know why God hasn't healed me, 
But I do know this. I could not have gotten through this without him. He has been my peace. He has been my strength. He has been my joy through this entire time. And I could not have gotten through this without him. I don't know where he stood on healing. I never saw that doctor again. But I just pray that that just sowed a seed in his heart. Because doctors, I have friends who are doctors. They see sickness and disease every day. They see people suffering every day. So sometimes it's hard for them to believe that there is a God out there who can heal because they see so much of the other stuff. So I just pray for that man and I just believe that that sowed a seed in his heart that day. The second thing that I want to, that I learned during this time was to keep serving others during this crisis. You see, when we go into crisis, it's the whole fight or flight scenario. So often we pull back. We pull back from God, we pull back from family, we pull back from friends. But I want to encourage you, keep serving others, whatever it is you're going through. Theodore Roosevelt, a president of the United States, was running for a second term when a would-be assassin shot him in the chest. Rather than going to hospital, he insisted on giving his speech. He gave a 84-minute speech with a bullet in his chest. True story. At different points in his speech, he stopped to check if he was coughing up blood. And when he realized he wasn't, he continued his speech. Why? Because he believed in his cause. He would not allow crisis to stop him from serving his country. And I want to encourage us, keep serving others. There was a time... Um, when I was in hospital with Crohn's and um, I was really, really ill. So they just had me in hospital on drips, just trying to get strength in my body. And I woke up one morning with a scripture on my heart and it was, by the stripes of Jesus, we have been healed. And I felt Holy Spirit just speak to me and say, Leanne, I want you to pray for that lady and I'm going to heal her. I was like, God, I really don't feel like it. <laughs> don't you see where I am? Like, I need healing. Hello, what about me? And again, the scripture came. By his stripes, we have been healed. I want you to pray for that lady. So I'm thinking, okay, okay. So I'm trying to get my courage up. And in the meantime, the doctors come in. They pull the curtain around this lady. And um, in Scotland which is where I'm from, if you didn't get the accent. Um, the hospital wards, there's about seven or eight beds in each ward, and they're just separated by a curtain, so you hear everything. I wasn't eavesdropping. You just can't help but hear what they're saying. Um, the doctors came in, and they started to tell this lady, um, there's nothing we can do for you. Your organs are shutting down one by one. And they said, we've called your family, they're on the way to the hospital, and we're going to move you to a private room. And um, so the doctors just left at that and left this woman, excuse me, and I could hear her crying behind the curtain. And again, Holy Spirit, I want you to go and pray for her because I'm going to heal her. And I was like, God, if I do this, you better come through. <laughs> so I get up out of my bed, I go behind the curtain, 
And I say, excuse me. And I'll, we'd already met, we'd introduced. I just said, you know what? I'm a Christian and I believe that God is a healing God. And she said, I believe that too. I said, can I pray with you? She said, yeah, you can. So I knelt down by her bed and I started to pray for this woman. And I started to declare life over this woman. And I started to declare healing over this woman. And at the end of the prayer, I just said, amen. I opened my eyes and the doctors and nurses were standing around me, giving me such a glare as if to say, who are you to give this woman hope? We're the medical people. Don't give this woman false hope. But I just smiled and off I went. Now, at the time, um, my gran, believe it or not, was also in the same hospital. She had just been through bowel cancer and had had part of her bowel removed. So she was in a private room. And it turns out this lady was moved to her same room. So I would go down and visit my gran. And um, when I got there, the lady was there. And I would chat to her and ask how she's feeling. She said, I feel good. Like, I feel good. I said, that's awesome. Keep believing. Keep praying. And then one day I went to visit and she was gone. And I thought, oh, gosh. I did. I, I thought, God, what's happened? So I asked my gran. I said, gran, where's... I can't remember the lady. It was so long ago. And she said, oh, no. She's gone home. She's fine. She's gone home. So I spoke to the nurse. I said, where? And they said, oh, no. They said, she's fine. She's gone home. They wouldn't tell me any more than that because of medical privacy. But um, I actually knew her son. He was involved in our local community. So I asked him, I said, what happened to your mum? And he said, they got it wrong. She's fine. Her organs were, and thinking they didn't get it wrong. God healed this lady. But the point is... I actually believe if I didn't do that, God would have still reached her. But I was the one in that room. I was the one who knew Jesus at that time. So during the crisis, you know, let's keep serving others. Let's keep serving others. We are bringing hope to other people. When David was in the cave, God brought other men to him. Some of these men were there to help him. Others, David was there to help them. In any case, both sets of men watched how David responded to his crisis. And because of the way he handled it, it helped them through crisis too. You see, whatever you're walking through, you may not realize it, but somebody is watching. And that is speaking to them. And you will be helping them and you don't even know it. They will be watching how you walk with joy. They will be watching how you keep your peace. And it is such a testimony to other people. You see, people need us to press into God and gain the victory so that we can help them gain victory. Your children, your family, your neighbors, your work, your school friends, whoever you are in here. Romans 8.19 says this, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. We are the children of God. And the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. The people around us need us to be victorious, to not give up in crisis, but to press into God, to stand in faith and carry his presence his glory and the power of God, not only in our lives, but in theirs. You see, the men who were with David, they were also outlaws. 
But when David became king, he took them with him. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, God, if you can, take this cup away from me. But then he said, but your will be done. Your will, he pressed through because he saw our face before him. He pressed through. But he had his moment when he said, God, would you take this? And then he righted himself and he said, you will be done. I will press through with this. So who's watching your faith walk? Who are you discipling without even knowing it? During those 10 years, I kept praying for people to receive healing in their physical bodies. And I saw healing after healing after healing. I didn't get bitter about it, but I rejoiced with them in their miracle. You see, I know that God has put a call on my life to pray for the sick. So I just kept doing what I knew to do. I kept serving Him. I kept praying. I kept believing. And as I said at the beginning, I don't know what the answer is for waiting 10 years, but I don't need to know. The third thing that I learned from David was we need to learn to worship. David was always a worshiper, but his worship went to a whole other level when he was in crisis. It was here that he penned some of the most powerful, heartfelt, faith words in history. Psalm 142 is one of them, says this, I cry out to the Lord. I plead to the Lord for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way that I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. But then I pray to you, Lord. I say you are my place of refuge. You are all that I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I am low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so that I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. You see, David was in crisis and he poured his heart out to God, but then he turned it around and he started to praise God. And he said, God, you are the only one. You are the only one who can help me. You are the only one who can sustain me. I remember the day that my crisis went from crisis to Houston, we have a problem. Not only was I living with this disease from my late teens, but now I was told that if I didn't have this major surgery, that it could kill me. Now Crohn's disease isn't a terminal illness. It doesn't tend to kill people. It tends to just wear you down and just take any quality of life that you have. But um, on this one occasion, it almost took my life. I remember it was early morning, late night, early morning, I was in so much pain. I fell to the floor, I couldn't get back up. I lived on my own. And I remember crawling from my kitchen to my lounge. And I got the phone and I called my mum. My mum came over, by the time she got there, I was out cold and um, she called an ambulance. I don't remember much of that situation because I was in and out of consciousness, 
but the doctors and my mum explained to me, later, to me later something was going on with my heart at that point. And I woke up in intensive care, hooked up to all of these machines, all of these tubes. And I just remember thinking, God, what is going on? What is going on? At that time, I was in Bible college and I had an assignment due on healing. And my mum brought in all of the notes, all of the books. And I thought, are you serious? Are you serious right now? But you know what? In that moment, I just said, God, you know what? Even if this kills me, you are still God. You are still a healer and I will trust you. And I will declare that until my last breath. And in that moment, I just felt something change, not physically with the illness, but in my heart and my spirit, just this boldness and this trust. So I went ahead and I had this operation. They told me that I would wake up with something called a stoma bag. If you don't know what that is, you can Google it. I'm not going to explain it. But praise God, when I woke up from that surgery, they said to me, we managed to do it without needing to give you a stoma bag. And I thought, wow, wow, here I am, 22 years of age going through this. But during that time, I learned to worship and to rest in the presence of God. We need to learn to worship through crisis, friends. It's the time when we least want to do it, but it's the time when we most need to do it. So look, not only can worship, worship doesn't just change our heart, it can change our physical situation. It allows us to dance through the storm. When we worship God through the storms, we're declaring that God is bigger than our situation. We're declaring His reign and His rule over our lives. When we worship, it helped me to keep my joy. It helped me to keep faith. It helped me to keep going. So look, I want us to worship this morning. We're gonna sing a song and we're gonna worship God. And then I wanna pray for some people. So look, why don't we stand just now? And um, if you feel like you're going through crisis right now and you don't know where to turn, I wanna tell you this morning, Jesus is the one we need to turn to. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.